Welcome to the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast. I am Sheila Ray Gregoire from the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum blog. And you know what? I usually introduce this podcast by saying that To Love, Honor, and Vacuum is all about how to make sure that marriage is less of a to-do list and more of a passionate adventure. But today we're going to talk about how marriage can be a huge to-do list because, okay, this is the true story here. Yesterday on Twitter, um, things got a little bit heated because... I've been following the Harvest Bible Chapel scandal and quite a bit, and I've been following a lot of people who have been tweeting about it. And somebody posted the handouts that they got from the biblical counseling at Harvest Bible back in 2012. So this is not in 1970, okay, back in 2012. And on that handout, there was a list of ways, I think it's 98 ways that a woman could be sinning against her husband and how she had to examine herself. And there was a self-assessment tool and it was just absolutely atrocious. And then throughout the day, people kept posting other lists uh, that were very similar that are used in counseling today at churches. And seriously, you read the stuff and it looks Neanderthal-like. So I have invited my daughter, Rebecca, and her husband, Connor, onto this podcast so that we can just talk about some of these things. And we're going to be a little bit lighthearted because seriously, you have to laugh at this stuff or you would cry. Um, But 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 I'm going to bring it back to some really practical things at the end. So hey, guys. Hello. Hi. So how bad is this stuff? This is pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Like, let, let's, just, let's just set the table for people here. Okay, so, so here is this list. And um, the Harvest handout, it, it's in three parts that, that was sent to us. And the first one is all about practical ways to show love to your husband. And one of them, I'm just going to read number four. If you have excess weight, build hope for your husband by setting goals to lose. Set little goals and achieve them. I also want to point out that they reference Romans 12, 1 and 2 for this, mm-hmm. which is not an appropriate verse for that context. <laughs> okay, why don't you, what is Romans 12, 1 and 2? Present your bodies as living sacrifices. Yeah. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Yeah, this is your spiritual act of worship. Yes, thank you, Sheila, because not all of us were Bible quizzers. Okay, I'm the only one who was, but I it's it's okay. I never did Romans. No, yes. but it's just ridiculous that this idea of if you have excess weight, like we've talked on the blog before about keeping yourself in shape or keeping healthy simply because it's the good responsible thing to do as an adult and you want and you love your spouse, you love your kids. You want to, you know, serve them by doing your best to be around for as long as you can be. Mm-hmm. But it's not about building hope for your poor, sad husband because you put on those 20 pounds of baby weight. Like, oh my goodness. It's just the wording is so concerning here. I just, it sounds to me like if you are a woman who's struggling with your weight and you read that, wouldn't you just feel terrible? Yeah, well, let me let me read you a few more, just so that we can we can let people understand the the gravity of this. And I will we'll, we'll put these in the podcast description, um, so that you can look at these for yourself. But there's how many ways there are twenty eight ways that you can show love to your husband. Here's number nineteen: be grateful to your husband by how you care for his castle, not your home, his castle. No, his castle. How you care about your personal appearance for him, genuinely thanking him for everything he does for you. Prepare the evening meal just as he likes it, and. Set an attractive table using cloth napkins and a tablecloth, candles, appetizing dishes, and above all, serve him first. That one's underlined. Yes, first. And listen, dinner conversations should focus on his days and his interests. Light, happy topics are appropriate. 
Teach children to listen and be attentive to daddy. It just seems so sad that this idea of, like, because we've, we've done lots of lists of, like, ways to show your husband you love him, ways to show your husband mm-hmm. that, you know, you care about him or you appreciate him, because it is so important to show gratitude in marriage. It's so important to show love. But what this is, this isn't just showing love. This is showing deference to your husband in not a way which is respectful to the wife. This is a, I am so lucky to get to be your maid who takes care of your great castle and all the children should be quiet and listen to daddy and never have a voice. Yeah, I mean, let's let's just take a look at that first one, how you care for his castle. I mean, that sets off a lot of red flags for me right there because first off, who lives in castles? Royalty kings. Who takes care of those castles? It's not the queens. It's the servants. It's the maids. You know, that right there is not setting up any kind of uh any kind of equality it's not even trying to it's saying you are a maid in his castle well and not only that i mean this is this reading through the list it's very obviously assuming that it's a it's a a husband who works in stay-at-home mom dynamic okay right which we which we on the blog have very clearly stated that being a stay-at-home mom does not mean that you don't have a job and it does not mean that you don't contribute to the family it just means that you have taken all of one side of it kind of on your shoulders so that your husband can go and work outside the home. You are both contributing to the household. Now, that's not obviously the expectation here because it seems very much like you are taking care of his house if you're a stay-at-home because you didn't earn it. But what about with families mm-hmm. like me and Connor where both of us contribute to the income? Is it my castle too? Or is that just my taxes for being allowed to live within his castle as a humble servant? <laughs> It does. It gets really silly too. And if you want to make it even sillier, um, also on this document was a scorecard for wives. Uh, 17 questions, which you can rate yourself from zero to four, but then it also asks your husband to rate you so that you honestly know. Now I have been asking to get the equivalent if there's a scorecard for husbands. And so far, nobody has been able to produce it. Um, I've talked to several people who went through marriage counseling at Harvest and all of they've given me is um, these documents for wives. But I don't mean to only be picking on Harvest because this is really common. And like I said, there's there's a number of documents going around from other churches too. Um, and it, even on the scorecard for wives, it's actually prepared by a guy named Wayne Mack who has written a number of biblical counseling books. And so this is really widely used uh, in a lot of churches. So even though we're beating up on Harvest, let's just, let's just make it known that this is not an aberration, okay? And honestly, when we read this stuff, I really thought it was from several decades ago, but it is in use today. Yeah, I mean, looking at this thing, I had two different reactions. My first was, this is goofy. Like, it's funny that this exists, but my other reaction to it was, this also kind of turns my stomach. The idea of a man rating his wife or grading his wife is kind of just gross to me, you know? Because who grades other people? Teachers? Managers? It's setting up, once again, just that power differential of you're a student or something who needs to be graded or marked by an evaluator who is your husband. Yeah, and that's not marriage. Exactly. Now, mind you, that, that is what they think marriage is, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but that is not marriage. Marriage is supposed to be an intimate relationship between two people who are spending their lives together and who are serving one another and who are working towards common goals. And you know what? A lot of times, if you are in an intimate relationship with someone where there's a power differential, that's actually statutory rape. 
in a lot of places. <laughs> so I'm just saying, this idea that marriage has to have this huge power imbalance. And, and we know that there are many people who listen to this podcast or who read the blog, who support the blog, who do believe in the idea of, you know, a husband being the leader or head of a family, but they don't act it out in a power differential type of way. And I think that's the problem here is that this isn't about whether or not the wife is supposed to have this role or that role. This is about firmly setting up a marriage where the husband is fully in control of the wife and the husband's desires, not just his honest to goodness needs and moral convictions go. Yeah. And, and, and why do you go to marriage counseling? You go to marriage counseling when there are problems in the relationship and you're feeling, chances are you're feeling unloved, you're feeling unappreciated, and you go to marriage counseling and you're given this sheet of 98 ways that you could be sinning against your husband so that you can ask yourself if you're doing any of these things. So let's go through some of them, shall we? My favorite one right off the bat is I usually don't attend church services with a joyful spirit. I'm sorry, but if I were going to a church that had handed me this list... I think I'd be having a really hard time going to church with a joyful spirit. That to me is actually incredibly concerning because joy is a fruit of the spirit. It totally is. But the idea of what a joyful spirit looks like is not always the same as just having the fruit of the spirit, which is joy. And sometimes if you're in a bad situation, that just sucks the joy out of your life because the spirit isn't allowed to flourish because of the horrible teachings that you're getting. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. this is this almost seems a little bit more like this weird controlling kind of mentality where if you don't feel joy there's something wrong with you not with me not with our teaching yeah let's all read the psalms and ask ourselves was david joyful when he was saying my bed is soaked with tears like was he saying he was honest or when he's begging for god to strike him down dead that happens in a couple psalms yeah and and by the way he wasn't the only one who did it elijah did that as well so you know jeremiah suffered from major depression so are they sinning yeah it just really concerns me when i see a list of 95 sins that wives can commit against their husbands and then three little places they can put their own additional failures Mm -hmm. that's what it says at the bottom when none of these things are blatant biblical sins and that to me just seems a lot like what jesus was speaking out against where it's all of these rules of, well, if you're not gracious in this particular situation, you might be doing this particular sin. And so we're also going to call this thing that might lead to the sin a sin. That's just a very... Pharisaical way of looking at it. It's a very pharisaical way of looking at it. Okay. And speaking of Pharisees, this is, this is my favorite question on the scorecard for wives, which we all need to ask ourselves. Do you keep yourself attractive, though not offensively so? So that your husband may be glad to have everyone know that you are his wife. So, Rebecca, let me ask you, are you offensively attractive? Well, I think I should defer to my husband on that. (laughs) I would say that is definitely a sin issue that we have been grappling with, uh, (laughs) is that I do find her uh, quite offensively attractive. Like, what does offensively attractive even mean? Like, I'm sorry, but God made a mistake. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are too attractive. Is it trying to get, maybe it's trying to get it, like, does she show too much cleavage? Like, so do you keep yourself attractive though not? Like, I, I have no idea. But this I have idea, literally no idea. But this idea that she has to be attractive, but not too attractive. Okay, so how is she supposed to do that? And also, what happens if she's just naturally really, really, really beautiful? Like my wife. <laughs> 
<laughs> like this is just it's it's absolutely ridiculous absolutely ridiculous um so let's go over some of the things that they are calling sins here's one of the big areas that the whole um sin thing is sort of focusing on which is which is this one i make decisions without first asking you for guidance and over and over again in these things, what it says is like, I'm, I, I support you as leader. I listen to your decisions. I go along with you. And it really is setting up the husband as the decision maker. In fact, I have another handout from Harvest, which says that, that the husband is the decision maker in the family. And yet nowhere does it spell out what decisions exactly is he allowed? Like, is she allowed to decide what she has for lunch? Is she allowed mm-hmm. to decide how much she's going to spend on the kids' clothes this year? Is she allowed to decide um, whether or not the kids are going to go to gymnastics because Betsy looks like she might be getting a little bit of a cold? Like, at what point <laughs> is she not supposed to decide anything and he's supposed to make all the decisions? And how do you figure out what that point is? Well, exactly. It's so difficult. And then also, when you put that into consideration with all these these notes about wives having too much weight or being overweight or something like that too like does the husband get to control everything if he just decides that it's his turn to decide what she eats mm-hmm. you know like and and i know that this sounds ridiculous to some of you like oh well you're taking it too far but the problem is we get emails again and again and again people whose husbands did take it too far and the church allowed it and yeah. not only that but they encouraged it by telling her she, she just needed to submit more And I'm sorry, but if someone is using religious jargon and religious rules that are not found in scripture to control your behavior, that is not what Jesus wanted. Yeah, so let's just go over this for a minute, because I do want to focus on what exactly is supposed to be going on when it comes to decisions and leadership, because the Bible does say that wives are supposed to submit to their husbands. However, it says in the very verse right before that, Ephesians 5.21, it says, submit to one another. And then it says, wives to your husbands as to the Lord. In the Greek, the, the, the thought is continuous. In fact, the word submit doesn't even appear in verse 22. Wives submit to your husbands. It actually says wives to your husbands. And that's because in Greek, they don't repeat the verb if it's inferred from the thought, if it's an ongoing thought. So submit to one another wives to your husbands. That's an ongoing thought. You can't interpret wives submit to your husbands without the thought submit to one another. And yet when you open up your Bible, you'll notice that there is a break. They put a paragraph break and even a heading between verse 21 and 22, which is not what the Greek says. But here's what I want to point out. Submission in verse 22. Submission in verse 22 cannot mean something different than in verse 21. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so if we're supposed to submit to one another, it cannot be about decisions. Instead, it's about an attitude. And this is what Jesus was all about. Submission is about Philippians 2, when Jesus took on the form of a servant. And this is how we're supposed to be serving one another. Is And Paul says this repeatedly, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. <laughs> but think of others as better than yourself. Like think of others first. And this is what the passage in Ephesians says. When it says that the man is the head of the wife, it does not connote power or authority. There's actually two Greek words for head. One is the word kephale, which is better translated source or actually the physical head, like your actual head, which has your eyes and nose and mouth, etc. And then one is archon, which means something like the head of an army. And in the Bible, both words are used. 
So it's not like Paul didn't know that archon existed. So archon is used. But here, Paul specifically uses the word kafali, which does not have an authority or power connotation. And instead, what it really is talking about is initiating, just like the source of a river is the initiation of that river. And I think what Paul is saying is, guys, you know, lead by initiating. Be the one who says, hey, everybody, let's go to church Sunday morning. You know, be the one who says, you know, hon, I'm really worried about the kids. We really should do something about the fact that they're not listening to us. Let's figure this out. Be the one who says, you know, we're going too far into debt. Let's get a grip on this. In other words, pay attention to what's going on in your family. Take responsibility and lead because otherwise, if you don't, she's going to feel the bulk of the responsibility. And that's what Paul is talking about. He isn't saying that the guy has to make all the decisions. Not at all. Because if he were saying that, then Ephesians 5.21 would not make any sense. But even more than that, and I'm sorry for ranting here, but I just want to get all of this out. Women, you are called to follow Jesus. Peter very clearly says in Acts chapter 5, we must obey God rather than men. And when we start saying that we need to follow our husband's will, that it is Jesus's will that we follow our husband's will, what we're really saying is that our husband's will is ahead of God's will. Because if it's God's will that we follow our husband's will, then God is ceding his will to our husband's. Essentially, what you're saying is whatever your husband wants is what God wants you to do. Well, God doesn't cede his will to our husbands. God very clearly says he will not share his glory with another. And so, ladies, do not commit idolatry, which is what we are doing when we say that you are supposed to follow your husbands rather than God. That's that's committing idolatry. That's breaking the second commandment. No, you follow God first, all of us. And that's why that's the fundamental reason why these checklists are so flawed is because they are putting the husband up as being in control and in power in the marriage when that just does not work. Okay, end of rant. I'm going to stop talking rant now and we can go back to some of these funny ones. I just needed to say that. Let's go back to some of these funnier ones. Yeah. Can I just first point out one of the things that I've noticed here just looking at this is first off, this this whole thing seems to paint women into this very small corner. And that's the impression I got from when I very first started reading it. You know, it lays out some pretty tight boundaries as to what is and is not acceptable. And I think that's perfectly epitomized by these two items, literally back to back on the list right here. I am a perfectionist about my housekeeping. My perfectionism manifests itself by blank. So, putting too much care and attention into housekeeping. Is a sin, apparently. Is a sin against your husband. The next item. I'm a poor housekeeper and do not take proper (laughs) care in the appearance of our home. Also a sin. (laughs) So you can see right there, it's closing in on both sides, keeping this very narrow box, this very tight definition of what you are allowed to be as a woman and as a wife. Exactly. So your your house must be attractive. But not offensively so. Exactly, exactly. Both your house and your wife must be attractive, but not offensively so. One of our favorite ones, though. Connor and I were just just absolutely doubled over laughing. Is a lot of these have little, like, blank spots where you can put in specific ways that you've sinned against your husband in these not-actually-sin sins. Um, But this one is particularly great. This one says, I'm too worldly in my thoughts, actions, and dress. Which, the next part just got us. Explain in detail. And so the moment I read this, I was just picturing the guy writing this being like, okay, please, 
free yourself from the burdens of these worldly thoughts and actions and just go into great, explicit, disgusting detail for me. Just lay it all out there for me to read. Other ones of these 95, a lot of them say explain, but none of them say explain in detail, except the one about worldly thoughts and actions. And desires. Yeah, well, it doesn't dress. say desires, yeah. but dress. dress. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like, Doesn't that sound creepy? Though? Like, this is seriously creepy stuff. This is creepy stuff. It is so creepy, but we were just reading this and we were just, we were so flabbergasted. And then that one pops up and we're just dying. And here, here's a more serious one. Uh, and I know you're going to have a lot to say on this one, Rebecca. I give in to depression rather than trying to fight it. Yup. That's a sin, ladies. If you have depression, boy, are you sinning. As someone who struggled with generalized anxiety disorder and panic disorder for the vast majority of our dating relationship, the entire time we were engaged, and then the first year of our marriage... I cannot tell you how incredibly offensive and uncompassionate that is. I'm sorry. If someone who has depression, you don't need to tell them, hey, you're sinning against your husband being depressed. They already feel depressed. They know that something's wrong. Like, no one says, you know what I want to do? I want to struggle with mental health issues because I just want to spite my husband. Yeah, this, no! is, this is a personal choice. This is me living my truth. I'm going to be depressed. I'm going to have that problem. It's just ridiculous. It's like blaming someone for a sickness they're going through in the worst possible way. Because if you're depressed, what you need is someone to be compassionate for you to say, hey, like you don't need to be in this forever. Mm -hmm. You know, we can come alongside and we can find a solution. Mm -hmm. And yes, we do need to take our thoughts captive to Christ, but it's not that when I experience anxiety or if I experience depression as a result of that, I'm sinning against my husband. It means I'm in a place of unhealth Mm -hmm. and I need help. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that I need to have guilt stacked up against me. That's not going to help me get some help. Yeah. And again, the kicker on top of all that is that that is a sin against your husband. Like he's the primary victim there. I know. He's the one that you are offending by being depressed. Like, honestly, yeah, Rebecca did have some struggles with anxiety uh, and depression when we were in our first few years of marriage. And if anything, I would say, while it was really tough on us, I often wasn't as compassionate as I should have been. Like, I think a lot of the time I was really the problem in those situations because I wasn't approaching the issues that she was handling or dealing with from the right direction. And I could have made things a lot better for her had I approached from a healthier perspective. Certainly, uh, approaching like this would have just been horrible. And I think at some times, you know, I I may have verged a little bit on that. I think we all do, but that's the point is we need to have compassion towards one another, not, hey... Your mental health is real inconvenient to me, sweetie. So I'm going to call it a sin and make sure you stop doing it. Or at least stop telling me about it because I just don't want to bear that burden. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think that's often what happens in mm-hmm. these kinds of situations. It's not that she stops being depressed. It's that she stops opening up about it. Right. And and her feelings really are a problem here because uh, another one is I get my feelings hurt very easily as if that is a sin. Yeah. So you're just a sensitive person. God made you with a kind and gentle spirit that can be easily bruised and that's now sinful. But let's take this even from a bigger perspective, though. When are they getting this handout? 
when they are going for marriage counseling. Chances are, at the point where they're going for marriage counseling, she does have her feelings hurt, likely for very good reasons. And yet, mm-hmm. instead of dealing with those good reasons, she has now told, you're just too sensitive. Yeah, so this is being presented mid-crisis a lot of the time. Exactly. Or here's another one which is on her list. Um, I sometimes be, I get physically abusive with you when I don't get my own way. Again, I would just love to know if there is an identical list for husbands. I desperately hope there is. And yet the woman who gave this to me said that her husband did not receive one. So even if there is one, it's not always handed out. But what really strikes me about all of these questions and these quote-unquote sins about depression, mental health, your feelings, all those kinds of emotional battles, is that to me, one of the verses that has so perfectly encapsulated our marriage is the carry each other's burdens verse. Yeah. The idea that when I am weak, it's Connor's turn to be strong. You know, two are two are better than one. For if one falls down, how how does it go? Two are better than one. For if one falls down, one can reach, pick them up, or something like that. Something or there's a yeah, but there's all those verses that were actually they were actually read at our wedding, so I should probably know what they are. But it's about (laughs) this idea that we're stronger together and that we're supposed to help each other. And in the Christian walk, if someone is struggling, you're supposed to go down into the pit with them, not stand up from the side and yell down, "Hey, your struggle's really inconvenient to me." Like this is so this is so against that concept of carrying one another's burdens. This idea of getting getting depressed is a sin against your husband. This idea of having your feelings hurt is a sin against your husband. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes we need to learn how to get tougher. You know, I needed to learn resilience. Mm-hmm. I needed to learn how to deal with like unpleasant emotions that I got. But it wasn't a sin issue. It was a lack of knowledge and training, and it was a skill issue. And that was something that Connor helped me with, not by standing up there as my judge and telling me all the ways I was failing him, but by digging down into the mud with me and then kind of lifting me up on his shoulders. Yeah, and I I find, and I think that's a perfect example. I find, too, that this, this list... What it really is doing is it's saying, women, you need to go out of your way to make your husband's life convenient. Everything needs to be convenient for him. Um, I want to draw your attention to another one. I expect you, this is a sin, remember, I expect you to help me in the evening with the children, even if I know that you're very, very tired. Well, wow. how dare she put his children on him? <laughs> yeah, but you're very right. Like this whole list is treating inconvenience as a sin. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the kids didn't come out of him, so they're really hers. <laughs> Let's be honest. Well, and, but this is this is again a big problem with the ha- with how a lot of churches see the family dynamics, which is that children are the woman's purview and the job is the man's purview. Children are not a chore. Children are people who need both parents, and yes. you don't get out of being a parent just because you're tired. Well, and not only that, we actually talked about this in the previous millennial marriage segment where studies found that the most happy marriages, the happiest, most secure, satisfied marriages tended to be um, the only real common ground between the two groups that had the happiest marriages tended was posited to be the fact that the, the fathers were most likely to be involved in child rearing. Mm-hmm. You know, the highly liberal kind of secular marriages that were completely atheist and then you had your incredibly strongly religious families. In general, those tended to have more father-child interaction time. 
And so if we're finding that the happiest families are to have dads who are really involved with the kids, then you go to marriage counseling, you get this, where asking your husband to help with the kids is a sin. <laughs> yeah. It's not exactly exactly setting them up for a happy marriage. No, exactly. I want to turn to to another. There's an equivalent list uh, also taken from Wayne Mack, interestingly, um, that another church uses, uh, livinghopechurch.net. They have a number of their marriage counseling documents, which you can download. And this, too, has a 100 point. This actually has two extra points uh, on the log list for wife and mother making the choice to make things a little bit better this week. And you're supposed to look at all of these things as sins. And I just want to point out number 37 on this list, which again, we will also link to in the description on this podcast. And number 37 says, I sometimes feel depressed and unsatisfied with our sexual relations. So that is a sin. Wow. Well, that's the woman's fault anyway. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry. We get so many emails from women who say, I want to have sex with my husband, but he doesn't shower or brush his teeth. Or I want to have sex with my husband, but he doesn't know that foreplay exists or that the clitoris exists. (laughs) Yeah. Or, you know, I want to have sex with my husband, but he's addicted to pornography, refuses to stop watching it. And he uses me as a sex toy instead of as an actual partner. Yeah. Or I want to have sex with my husband, but it only takes three minutes and I'm always left hanging. Yeah. But she's not supposed to be unsatisfied then. Yeah, she just she has to work on getting unsatisfied. It doesn't, and the the solution. There, first of all, there isn't a solution given to any of these things, but also there isn't a solution being like I sometimes feel depressed and unsatisfied with our sexual relations. Take an hour this week and discuss what your ideal sex life would look like. Yeah, there's nothing like that. There's yeah. no call to action. It's yeah. just wives. Here's how you can make your marriage better. If you're unsatisfied. Stop. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not seeking the roots of any of these problems. It's just locating problems and assuming that they're the woman's fault. Also, I got to wonder, like most husbands, if they knew their wife was unsatisfied with sex, wouldn't they want their wives to then become satisfied, not just stop voicing their dissatisfaction? Like wouldn't most men want to think, "Yeah, I'm a great dude in the sack." Not, "Well, my wife puts up with it." Like <laughs> You would and those think are exactly so. the two ways that men talk. That's exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I say, I get men. <laughs> you would think so. And honestly, I just need to give a shout out here to some of the male commenters on the blog who would so love to give their wives pleasure. And it's their wives who just can't be bothered. And I, I know that this is not always a situation where the guy is not interested in giving her pleasure. I know that exactly. it really does go the other way. But um, yeah, like, like I said in my post, I wrote a post probably about two months ago now on how the do not deprive verses are actually better applied to the woman than the man. Because according to my studies, uh, my surveys that I did for the good girl's guide to great sex, only 18% of women always have an orgasm when they have sex. Imagine how men would feel about sex. If only 18% of guys always had an orgasm. Exactly. It is not men who are the most deprived. It is actually women. Yep. Because even if a dude is getting sex only twice a month, if he's orgasming both times, odds are she's orgasming neither. Which means they both had sex 24 times a year, but he's had 24 orgasms and she's had zero. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) 
And of course, now you can get into the fact that he feel he might feel uh, much more of um, a physical drive for sex than she does. But I honestly believe, and this is what Beck and I, Beck and I are so dedicated to this. We have our honeymoon course coming out in about a week or so. Um, the one of the reasons the women don't like sex is because we've never taught them how to be aroused because yeah. men haven't learned and women haven't learned that's important and so you start sex out horribly in marriage women just don't associate it with anything good and then yeah it why would they chore. want it yeah exactly it becomes yet another thing on their to-do list on this giant to-do list of hundreds of things that women can do wrong and should do better yeah so i almost don't want to encourage you to look at the lists because it really will make you depressed and <laughs> we weren't we which didn't is want a to- sin <laughs> Which is a sin. <laughs> Against your husband. <laughs> and, yes. You know, and we didn't want to do this pod. The point of this podcast is not to make fun of these churches, really. Um, that's not what we're doing. We're doing actually this for a much more important reason, which was as much as I know about how a lot of churches get marriage wrong, I still was shocked when I saw this this week. Mm-hmm. And the fact is that an awful lot of churches are still using resources like this. This is straight out of the biblical counseling textbooks and and this is just so damaging in your marriage. It really is. The reality is reading through all of these things that wives can do wrong or that wives can ways wives can sin against their husbands, it's antithetical to the idea of intimacy, closeness and compassion in marriage. And I'm sorry, but if you're in a church where you go for help and you're given a list of all the things that you could do wrong that are not biblically sinful, but they're being presented as such. The reality is you can leave. There are places that value intimacy and that are more about chasing after the spirit than are about putting on religious rules and dogmas that are not actually found in the gospels. Yeah. And I just don't know why any man would even want to be in a relationship like this unless he simply was power hungry and narcissistic. I mean, I can't even imagine. I mean, I can understand it, not from an empathy perspective, But I can understand if you're raised believing that this is what marriage is meant to be, this environment in which you have someone who is making your life as convenient as possible, and your job is just to go to work and bring in the money. Their job is to take care of everything else, make sure that your life is convenient and is comfortable, and you're not taught that marriage is supposed to be so much more than that, that marriage is supposed to be about that intimate relationship, I can absolutely understand where someone would go in, uh, where a man would go into the marriage, seeing the appeal of having his life made convenient for him, because he doesn't realize how much more there is supposed to be to it. Yeah, I can't ever imagine you asking me to do any of these things. No. So yes, I can understand and see how that happens and how men like that are created. But to me, it's just so bizarre and alien to my own experience because I could not imagine my life without an equal partner in my wife, Rebecca. It's because we can do everything together that we share this incredible intimacy in our day-to-day lives, that we can hold each other up when we are weak. I can't imagine trying to go through life really kind of on my own with a support character in the background, you know? Mm-hmm. And which is good. 
and yeah. for which I am very grateful. Yes. <laughs> the reality is, if you're in a church where this kind of information is given to you, you don't have to live in that religious bondage that we're meant to be freed from by Jesus. You know, Jesus came to get rid of these external rules that have nothing to do with the spirit and God's honest to goodness, compassion and love and desire to give us a full life. I'm sorry, but being bogged down by these lists of 95 different sins that you could potentially be doing, that's not what Jesus meant when he said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Because at every step, what he did was release people from rules that God never intended. He didn't add more. Yeah, whom the Spirit has set free is free indeed. Exactly. And we are supposed to be free. And and it's not only that, it's also that this is so heavily positioned so that it is the woman who has to cater to the man's every whim. And it is not God's desire that anybody be entitled to having a convenient life. It is God's desire that all of us excel in serving others and in spreading the good news. And this does not set up men to serve others. It enables selfishness. And Jesus is never, ever into enabling selfishness. In fact, that's what he chastises people for, is self-righteousness and thinking of themselves before others. And so if you are going to marriage counseling and they treat you like you are responsible for all of the problems in your marriage because you're not respecting him enough, you're not letting him make the decisions, you're not satisfied with your sex life, you're not... Um, making his life easy peasy, that is not helpful marriage counseling. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we are the problem. Like the person who's going to counseling, sometimes you are the problem. You've got issues you got to deal with. But it's never going to be a blanket statement of because you're a woman this. It's going to be in your situation, here is the dynamic in your marriage. They're going to take weeks to figure out what is the dynamic that's happening. They're going to delve into you personally. They're not going to give you a blanket statement of a hundred ways you could sin against your husband and say this must be your problem. It's got to be personal. And so if you're getting counseling that is treating you like a statistic, and a number instead of as an individual with specific personal problems and habits that are getting in the way of great intimacy in your marriage. That is a red flag, whether it's in your favor or against you. Exactly. Absolutely. So here's a, a comment that we got that we just wanted to end on. It's, it's a longer comment, but I'm just going to read about two sentences from it. It came into last week's post on how noticing is not lusting, I believe, right? This comes from a commenter who says that she was previously in a very, very damaging and unhealthy marriage and is now married to a wonderful man who treasures her and cherishes her and it's a very healthy relationship. But here's what she said about being in that first marriage. As well-intentioned as many of the current Christian authors on marriage and family may be, I think it's time we readdressed our own behavior and called ourselves to account. I have read many things over the years which laid my ex-husband's sin at my feet while laying my worth as a human being at his. Yeah, and that's what we're doing. That's like poetry right there. Yeah, why don't you read that last bit again? I have read many things over the years which laid my ex-husband's sin at my feet while laying my worth as a human being at his. Yeah. Ladies, Jesus loves you. He loves you. He created men and women together to live in intimate relationship where you both chase after God. You don't chase after your husband. You chase after Jesus. And if anybody ever tells you otherwise, they are not safe and they are not biblical. 
And that is the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast for this week. <laughs> I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire. Please find me at tolovehonorandvacuum.com where we talk all about marriage and how to make it biblical and how not to be offensively attractive. Um, <laughs> and, um, but uh, all, these, all these checklists are going to be in the description of this podcast and you can take a look at them there. But I just encourage you. You know, if what you're hearing in your church just does not measure up with what you think Jesus would say, then take another look and say, maybe I need to find a different Christian community because some of these places, quite frankly, just are not safe. Hi there, Rebecca here just for a second to let you know that I know that not all of you like these kinds of podcasts where we just kind of break it down and go into the nitty gritty details um, and prefer our more applied and practical ones. And I just wanted to let you know that we are going back to our normal style next week we just thought this was really important to point out this week because so many people are still being given these harmful materials and they need to know that marriage can mean so much more than obligation and guilt so next week we're going to be talking about the importance of aiming for arousal not just sex when you're trying to make sex feel good for her and it's going to be a fun one so tune in for that